Welcome to Equestrian Movement's First Do No Harm podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boniface, co-founder of Equestrian Movement with Sarah Gallagher. We work with horse riders who want to build a stronger bond and a deeper connection with their horses. In our First Do No Harm podcast, we discuss with other industry professionals how to work with horses to firstly do no harm and secondly support their mental, emotional and physical well-being throughout the training process so that we have horses that enjoy learning and ask to be ridden. Each episode, we discuss the different influences our training can have and how we can improve our horses' overall athleticism, soundness of mind and body, and emotional fortitude, while strengthening and deepening our relationship with our horses. Each week, I will endeavor to bring to you a new episode on horse riding, training, handling and husbandry for an interview with other industry professionals to help you address where and why you might get stuck in creating the beautiful union of dancing souls that is the equestrian sport. Are you ready to kick off today's show? Let's get started. Hey team, it's Sarah here from Equestrian Movement. I've hijacked the podcast this day, but don't worry, Katie's right here beside me. I'm actually stepping in today to ask one of the most common questions we see from our audience that are coming directly from you. And that is, why does my horse or why won't my horse? So, hi, Katie. Hi. (laughs) Tell me, why does my horse insert preferred behavior here? Fuck, bolt, bite, (laughs) nap. (laughs) Why won't my horse or why does my horse? Yeah, so this is a question that I have been asking myself for the last 25 years, I think. (laughs) It comes from a book that I had as a child. I think I still have it in my bookshelf here. Um, Why does my horse dot, dot, dot? And it just would, like, flip through page to page behavior and then there'd be, like, an explanation But I never really connected with the explanations that were in the book. So I'd go through and I'd read and I'd be like, that doesn't feel right. Like that doesn't feel like what I'm experiencing with my horse. So uh, Q, yeah, 25 years of problem solving. Firstly, a horse that bucked me off every single time I rode it. Secondly, a horse that I couldn't tie up, I couldn't put a bridle on, I couldn't catch, I couldn't rug. I, I remember that one. I couldn't put, get on a float. We'd go to competitions and because I couldn't tie him up, he'd have to just be like looped through the bailing twine and every now and then he'd like get away and terrorize the entire comp field <laughs> just galloping with the saddle flaps flapping on his belly area <laughs> and then just like endless horses since uh, it's just basically behavioral problem on behavioral problem and you know as a rider it's like how do I deal with this problem because a lot of the time it comes with this you know threat to our safety but then also as a trainer you kind of at, at that stage where you don't feel terribly unsafe yourself because you've experienced it so much but you feel the pressure and the expectation to fix the problems for other people so that they don't get hurt so really <laughs> at the root cause of all of that Most behavioral problems are just your horse saying, I'm not okay with that. 
because a horse that can't control its, its behavior is a horse that can't control its emotions. By the time we have behavioral problems, it is emotional problems escalated. And emotional problem is basically a no to your ask. And that's definitely, I think, the big game changer when it comes to how do we work with this type of problem. So um, what should we be asking instead of why does my horse? So a lesson that I have learned time and time again is that the quality of the answer comes from the quality of the question. And so what can happen a lot when we're training and we're working with our horses, and I definitely experienced this a lot. I don't know if it was because I was a kid when I did a lot of my training or just naive to the fact that horses need training and they don't just get bored into this life with the skills to be ridden. But what we tend to forget is that it has taken a lot of training with someone that horse trusts to get them to the point where they can be okay with a certain ask. So, you know, some of the reasons why they might not be okay with our ask is basically why we have our training philosophies that we have, like first do no harm. Your horse is going to say no if what you're doing is going to create pain, if they have a legitimate reason to say no, like, um, you know, back pain, salivate issues, ulcers in their mouths, ulcers in their stomach, different things that are going to give them legitimate reasons to say no. So um, the person that they trust can see those reasons and they can support them through it to the point of being able to say yes. When, when we get through that like first do no harm principle of ruling out all reasons to say no for like pain related reasons, what then becomes tricky is just like interrelationship play and relationship dynamics of, you know, why would somebody do what you're asking of them? So the, then the question becomes not why does my horse dot, dot, dot insert behavior because we know the answer to that. The answer is they're not okay with the ask. The question then becomes how do I build trust, confidence, and faith from my horse in me to be okay with the thing that I'm asking of them? And this is what we call psychological safety. Psychological safety, that's a pretty unique term in the equine world and I know that you and I have been chatting about it for the last um, month or so, but can you tell me what psychological safety looks like in a horse? So um, psychological safety is definitely a new term, but like when I first heard I was like, oh my God, the planet's aligned, things clicked into place, <laughs> a little <laughs> aha brain explosion moments that we enjoy. And it was lovely to finally have the language to describe the experience that we're trying to create with our horses. So, um, you know, a lot of you would know the problems that I had with Fiddy being aggressive and, um, you know, when our horses fit into that aggressive quadrant, they're confident enough in themselves to take out the threat and if you have created the situation where you are the threat, then they're quite happy to take you on. Psychological safety is like building that connection with the horse to 
not see you as the threat um, but to feel safe to have a conversation with you that isn't around the idea of submission. So any training tool that we are using that is focused on submission and nothing else is an aggressive training method because like basically what we're looking at is you know the horse has to basically forfeit its will to live to submit to you you know that is a very drastic way of viewing it but like some of the things that we ask our horses to do they legitimately are in fear for their life like getting on a float like floating different places like some of the jumps we tell them to go over like going through the water that they think there's sharks living in <laughs> going through the puddle that they think is going to have something jump out and eat them like they legitimately fear for their life in these situations and saying submission and, and nothing but is an aggressive way of interacting with our horses that is going to get them over threshold it's going to get them defensive it's going to get them protective right we're going to see them pushing into us pushing at us running into us or we're going to see them running away from us so that psychological safety is recognizing first that the horse needs to feel safe, secure and connected within themselves, their environment, us and their herd. And we've spent the last year and a half within training trainability doing this and to see like that evolution of once the horse feels safe, secure and connected, taking that into a training environment looks like psychological safety. So it's okay if they make a mistake. They're not going to get punished for it. We're not going to get them in trouble for it. It's okay for them to ask what am I supposed to do here? It's okay for them to say, I don't understand what you're trying to get me to do. So they feel safe to communicate back to you rather than just like push, pressure, make them do it at all costs. If they don't do it because you say so, you now have a naughty horse. Those lines are fairly blurry. As we've talked about previously, like if you can't, pull gunner off grass we're not going to let you take him on the side of the road where there's cars and traffic and whatnot but that's part of psychological safety as well is it's like recognizing your skills and your horse's skills and only choosing productive environments where it's going to build a stronger connection and relationship that fosters trust faith and confidence so if we put ourselves in that position like you're working with gunner and he's dragging you to grass like you're on skis and then you <laughs> decide to put yourself on the side of the road you know not only has he lost confidence in you to lead in the fact that he could drag you in the first place but then he also loses trust and faith for you to make good choices for him because now he's in a really dangerous situation that you can't control and you shouldn't have put the two of you into absolutely I think that's, um, I guess, why in, you know, where we have taken trainability for the last year and a half is, is evolving all of that uh, process so that we have all of those skills and we can layer them on top of each other and um, regulate the emotional aspect of it and help our horses have an opinion and um, some input in how they are worked and how we interact with them uh, so that we can foster this psychological safety. 
I think um, I, I think the best way that I can relate to psychological safety in in, in the way you've explained it is is having a, a work environment where you know that you have an opinion that's very different to your boss's opinion <laughs> and your boss has said we're going to do something like this but you feel really comfortable in the, in the aspect of saying well actually I disagree with how you've suggested that can we look at doing it this way and it's actually a safe environment where um, you feel encouraged to learn express your views and move forward together as a team which is really what I think we've been trying to do all along in trainability. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely like a place that you get to when you're working with your horses where, you know, pushing them harder, putting more pressure on, you know, that doesn't get you that breakthrough moment in the relationship where you get more trust from your horse. And that's, you know, that's why we focus so much on foundations. It's not like because we're like, you don't know how to do foundations, so you better go back and do them. It's like, you know, first time you do your foundational work, it's just a really like superficial entry level glean over basics required. And then you go and you put it into practice and you're like, oh, I actually know why I need to be able to put my horse, pull my horse off grass now because I just got, uh, I just did us some mischief. Like <laughs> we just got ourselves in trouble. <laughs> Like he just dragged me off the end of the float to go 10 metres away to eat grass. Yeah. Real life situation, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you start to realise, okay, you know, it's okay to have that halter check in place with Gunnar because he knows how to get his body weight behind you and, and drag you and you need to have like a good working relationship around that when it comes to time that you need to be able to get him on and off a float, that you want to be able to go out to a competition. The, the competition's always a lot more hectic. And, yeah, just being able to, you know, stretch your what you're trying to do with your horse in a way that is still safe for you and for, for them. And that you're right, like that psychological safety term I did get from – compassionate leadership skills in, and transformational leadership skills in business. It's, um, you know, the way that uh, hopefully, you know, the the generations coming through are going to shift uh, the idea of how what, it's, what it looks like to work for businesses and companies where you are seen for your value that you bring to the company and, and not just like there to kind of make money off of like for them and to be heard and to be able to contribute and feeling safe that you can have those difficult conversations without there being, um, you know, ego conflict involved. And, and that's everything that we try to do with the horses is like if you're having a conversation with your horse over something that you want them to do, make sure that it's not, making you reactive and, and triggering your ego to protect itself because as soon as we get into that conversation then we've moved out of we're no longer training anymore and we're working through our own life baggage <laughs> 
we don't need to work our life baggage out on our horses although that has kind of been a lot of what I did when I was <laughs> younger <laughs> and now I'm teaching other people not to work their life baggage out on our horses. <laughs> so it's okay to share your baggage with your horse just don't work it out on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Share it with them and then go and work let it them, out. Let them give you a cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> so what should we be doing to help promote psychological safety in our horses? Yeah, okay, so what psychological safety does not look like, it is what we were just kind of talking about there, don't emotionally engage in conflict with your horse. So you will also have heard us say a lot, like what does this look like if it came from a place of love? And you know that I had to work on that with Jane for a good year because I did not feel love for Fitty when he was giving me his stroppy, stabby feet and trying to chase us out of the paddock. And it can be very easy, I think, to, to lose that level of, um, I guess, safety and, and that perspective of affection and love when our horses are doing something that is potentially going to kill us <laughs> yeah. yeah that's it and yeah like I legitimately have had a stallion run at me and pick me up by the throat and throw me down to the ground so I know how bad it can get and I'm just really lucky that you know that was that stallion's first go like he wasn't practiced otherwise like that's basically their kill tactic to rip your juggler up um, so, you know, when the horses charge me or run at me or, or do something like that, I'm not like thinking, oh, you know, horses aren't aggressive by nature, you know, I'm safe here. I'm like, I have had a horse, I have had numerous horses do, do me some mischiefs and I know how bad this can get. So, and especially like when it's, when it's your horse, you feel so much responsibility for making sure that it has a good life that the fear isn't necessarily just fear for yourself the fear is also for the horse like if you can't fix them I say that with like quotation, quotation marks. marks air quotes um then you know what is their future what does their life look like and I think like you know since I probably learned how to not be so scared of horses the next thing that I I have struggled with and still really struggle with is being scared for the horses. Like if you can't figure out how to integrate into these horse-human relationships, <clears throat> then it's like you're basically in Australia going to go to the doggers. So it's or, you know, if we have a kind person, then they'll get a vet out and put them to sleep if the, the um behaviors are, are too out of control so it's like that obligation that I feel not only just to keep myself safe but also to make the horses trainable enough to be safe themselves and like taking that was a lot of the fear that I took in with fitting because like he's a big horse he has you know a a lot to throw a lot of weight to throw around and a lot of opinions and if I couldn't create a life for him like what were his options going to be so some of it was a little bit of fear for myself but mostly like it was just me being annoyed that he was doing those behaviors and you know for me I know that as soon as I get annoyed or frustrated or whatever I need to just take myself out um, and so then it was 
you know, who do I go to to debrief with my problem ponies? It's you and Jane. And it was like me trying to tear my heart open and fit Fitty in it because I just felt zero love for you at the time. Um, but then being able to get to that point where I could like fit a little squeak of him in and then building that out and slowly I started to realize, hey, like the reason why he's behaving like that is because he sees me up at the house coming down and he's already tense and alert and feeling threatened and that's what you know when we talk about pressure it's not just like the pressure of the exercise the pressure that you can apply with your whips and that kind of thing it's like you know the pressure of expectations yep. like fitty's expectations of, of what's going to happen uh that he's going to have to work and all of those other previous experiences he that's like you know he sees that just looking at me and that's not just the way that I've worked in it's all of these previous work and handling and coming off the track and, and that kind of thing so we really did need to take the time to create the psychological safety so that when he saw me he could relax and so that when I came in and started working with him he could stay relaxed and get it to the point where he could actually enjoy the conversation and that got us to the point where um when I was actually at the point of doing training with him and just completely confused him that was when we got our communication buttons yes. out and we had our stop button and ready button so the way that we set up the, com the communication buttons was that if he was feeling overwhelmed it, within that training environment he could press the stop button and when he was ready we were just doing treat earning behaviors when he was ready to do treat earning behaviors he could do the ready button when he pressed the stop button we just did connection work he could have cuddles and scratches no treats and then when he was ready to work he could do treat earning behaviors and that was like i think really our biggest breakthrough moment together was because i kind of figured out that he's not as intelligent as the other horses that I tend to work with are because um, normally I work with difficult horses their difficulty being their level of intelligence to outmaneuver the humans whereas his like just kind of brute strength brute force kind of temperament means that he's a little slower on the take up of what the cues are but he's also just a lot like me when he doesn't know what the answer is he gets really frustrated yeah and those that frustration exhibits as like stamping the ground and being really stroppy and being really pushy and just like big nose so if we can take that away give him the space to emotionally self-regulate and then he can pull himself, he can use his emotional agility skills to pull himself around to engage in the training again and the treat training can, you know, make him keen and enthusiastic to try again rather than like the training just be pressure and find the answer, pressure and find the answer because that's where we get a very explosive fitty because then you've got, you know, the pressure to perform without like any um, emotional engagement plus his own frustration about not knowing what the answer is and whatnot and then you know that's where we get the the big blow up yeah absolutely it's it's like 
um, two people going into an argument, not listening to each other, and then getting frustrated <laughs> that nobody's listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think, that's a really good tip to not get emotionally engaged or emotionally engaged in the argument um, on both levels, on both sides of the party, is to you know help your horse have that process to and that moment to be able to regulate the emotions so they can have some space and time to go, yep, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get rid of that frustration or that cranks or whatever, but also not uh, delve into the argument yourself and get really frustrated that your outcomes just aren't happening <laughs> yeah. that way you want them to. Um, so what other, um, what other tips do you have around psychological safety? So don't ask them to do something that creates pain. And this one's really tricky, especially with green horses, is because, like, exercise is pain. No pain, no gain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's why I sometimes am slightly reluctant to do so. <laughs> yeah, now horses also have that reluctance to work, especially, you know, our heavier horses, our... Uh, more like lean kind of thoroughbreds, Arabs, even stock horses and core horses and whatnot can be like more motivated to work and you know, you can even get to the point where they're going to flip over uh, into that over threshold adrenaline junkie situation where they will literally keep going until the point of collapse. But then if you work with more of our heavier horses like Clydes and whatnot, just like the motivation to work and to ex ex exude energy is like it can be quite hard to pull them out of. And so we want to make sure that, you know, the saddle fits well, the bridle fits well, the teeth are done, there's no stomach ulcers, they are as pain-free as can be through, you know, it's really important to take into account that we are sitting on a very vulnerable part of their body and asking them to carry us yeah. so it's making sure that we do the work to make sure that we don't lack balance and thump around on their back and smack them in the mouth as well and also do the work with the horses to make sure that they're engaging their posture correctly so that we don't end up with like long-term like postural muscle breakdown and skeletal and um, musculoskeletal issues because of the way that they have to carry us but also just the daily, like, training level. Like, the school horses have been out of work for five weeks over Christmas holidays. Their first lesson was not, all right, let's do, like, half hour of canter work and be jumping our 50, 60 semi fences, which is where we stopped at last year. Our first lesson was, like, half an hour of walking with some walk-trot transitions and a couple of the horses that, like, were really keen and eager did, like, one to two canter transitions. And that was, like, their first ride back. So it's making sure that you're very intentional and strategic with the way that you structure your training sessions so that the exercises that you do actually complement the horse's posture so that it creates soundness and longevity. And then also so that you're not, like, pushing them to the point that their body is too sore we kind of we want to stop before it kind of gets hard yeah which is hard when we have our own goals and our own expectations and we're back to that but you're a horse you're supposed to be able to do this we're going to make sure hey like you know what is your like where is your natural effort if I don't push you any what do you give me and if they give me nothing 
then you need to kind of lower your standards a little bit to get that first best effort. So one of our lesson plans in holistic horse handling is training work ethic. And it's all about like, firstly, you just need the horse to feel motivated to learn, like learning has to feel good. They get excited to find answers. And then that's going to translate into using their body. It's really important the way that we structure using their body that each time we ask them to use it, it feels good and it feels better. And it's that way that we kind of set them up for success and set them up for that win that, you know, when we ask them to trot, they trot. Um, another example last year would be Angel. Like when we picked her up out of school, they the nickname was Angel of Death and you would have to like, the kids would well basically lay laying into her with the whip just to get her to move. And so we adapted it a little bit. We did probably about eight months of just transition work plus treat training. And she has a really lovely working trot now that you don't have to use the whip to create. And so that's a lot about, you know, how you use your transitions to build the strength because that walk trot transition is like a little mini push-up for them. Mm. And then the power from behind when you're doing your tempo changes within the pace is like a squat. So, you know, we're structuring lesson plans out for eight months of squats and push-ups so that in eight months we can actually see a well-established working trot. We have to go through and do all of that again in Canada. And so if you've got, you know, the goal of being out and competing as soon as you get your horse or within the first six to 12 months, yeah, she went out and competed last year, but she just did prep tests. And it was more so for the students' experiences to be out at a comp, not so much for the students to win. And so she did, you know, she came middle range. So she did do quite well. Uh, and it's just being able to, like, have your goals but make sure that in the process of working towards your goals, you're keeping in mind the horse's psychological safety, the um, you know quality of secure attachment with you, themselves, the herd, the environment. And then from there, like, does learning feel good for them and does movement feel good for them? And, and then that's when we're going to get, the most willingness from our horse, but it's also where we're going to have like behavioral problems would come up with Angel and we'd say, okay, like she was doing so well until this point was changed. So we'd adjust her feed or we got some perfume from Jane or we, um, we also got like a magnesium wash with some oils from Jane. Um, she had some herb supplements, the osteo, uh, and also like just knowing when you kind of lose that quality and that enthusiasm a little bit. It's like we just booked the osteo in. And I, what we would like to try and do this year is just like a maintenance massage as well because their workload is quite high. Yeah, yeah. And it's, <clears throat> it's slightly different from the school horses who are, um, you know, having to educate riders with them as well, um, their, their workload is significantly more intense than, I guess, a lot of um, other horses out there. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and we have to be on top of that um, there to maintain that psychological safety. So we do have horses that are willing, engaged, wanting to look after them, but still um, happy in themselves. Yeah. Happiness in a horse is so hard when you're 
objective is riding. <laughs> How do you make a horse happy to carry you flopping around on its back and pulling him with a piece of metal in their mouth? It's like 25 years of soul searching going into that one as well. That's why I've always got a pocket of treats with gun- when I ride gunner. <laughs> yeah. um, so tell me a bit more. Um, so we've spoken about not emotionally engaging um, and then – don't ask them to do things that create pain. Yes, yes. So the first do no harm. Yeah. Um, philosophy. What What else does psychological safety involve? So we want to set ourselves up to make sure that our horses have the skills to do what we're asking of them. So don't ask them to do anything that they don't have the skills to do. And this in particular is emotional resilience. Like this needs to be taught. If you're wanting, like if your goals stretch what your horse is capable of doing, then you need to make sure that in the process they have the emotional resilience skills to not panic and just melt down under the pressure of achieving it. So um, being able to create small challenges with an immense sense of satisfaction and achievement on the other side so that when we get into the the bigger challenges we don't end up overfacing them and, and then them like not trying at all or just panicking anymore but they're like all right like I've overcome all of the things that I was scared of before this point and that's part of building their trust in us is that you've only created situations that they had the skills to achieve the outcome desired or if you were in that moment you're like that's good enough for today you don't like we can finish on that you don't need to achieve this outcome and so that can be something like with floating if we get like stuck in the the headspace of you know you haven't done your float training and then you've booked yourself into a competition and you need to get your horse on the float in the morning then you have that outcome orientated goal. You either achieve it and your horse gets in the float and you get to the competition, or you don't achieve it and your horse doesn't get in the float. But there's so many steps in that training process to get to that end goal. It's like, you know, there's the horses will always, like if they have a problem with floating, they will always stop at the tailgate and then they will stop with two feet in the float and then they'll stop like going a little bit further into the float with their back feet on the float. And it's not until like you can kind of overcome that, that they walk the whole way onto the float. But even once they're on the float, they can still have a panic and run back out. So it's like the next step is not just being in the float, but it's also standing with relaxation um, and feeling comfortable with you showing the tail bar and then lifting the tailgate up. Yeah. And then we also need them to feel safe when we're floating, so not driving erratically, going slow around corners, making sure that they're comfortable. Like there's so many things that actually go into it. It's not just like we either did it or we didn't. It's like how do we keep structuring these circumstances to, you know, our long-term goal is that it's easy to float our horse. It's not like tomorrow my horse is going on the float and we're going to a competition. And I think, like, you know, the absolute, like, mess that the pentathlon last year was is a really good example of that as well. It's like, you know, these were well-trained show jump horses that knew how to do fences, ridden by some riders that aren't. 
And so, you know, if your horse feels that you have confidence to approach the fence, they will jump it. If you jump it and you lose your balance and you smack them on the back, especially at that height, smack them in the mouth, throw them off balance, then you're making jumping that height unsafe for them. And so that's why they start balking and running out of fences. And then if you're, you know, just going to get them in trouble for it, like, what happened where we saw like how it evolved to poor horsemanship. If you're just going to apply pressure, then you just create even more like emotional meltdowns on the horse's like problem on the horse's behalf. Like this is what psychological safety is. Like those horses are in this Olympic stadium and they didn't have the space to say, I don't trust you to jump me over that size fence. Yeah. And so what we saw was like, you know, the horse's response to the lack of psychological safety to communicate that, sorry, but you, you don't have the skills to jump me over that fence. And, you know, when we're working with our school horses, it takes a very confident, very self-assured horse to take somebody that maybe isn't quite ready to do those heights or even like, you know, with my kids, like aren't ready to do like the next height up in the jump or not ready to canter. It takes a very confident, self-assured horse to say, I've got you, even though I feel you're not ready. Yeah. And I always let the horses communicate that to me in the school. You know, if I'm setting one of my kids up for a canter and they don't canter, I'm not getting the whip out and saying, you have to canter. I'm saying, okay, like I really trust our horses. I know that they can tell if you're ready or not. We're going to do more two-point seat work so that your legs are tr- stronger. We're going to do some sit trot work so that you're a little bit smoother in the saddle. And then we're going to try again when you're a bit stronger and we've worked on your skills a bit more. And then I can say, all right, let's do that canter. And then, you know, that, that's when the horses will canter because they'll say, okay, yeah, you're ready. Because they can feel us like wobbling yeah. <laughs> over their back. <laughs> they can feel us kind of swinging off the side of them, just coming around a corner and trot. They're not caring. <laughs> I think the best example I've ever had of that was the um, the first time I rode Billy in trot and he's a standard bred with a very very bouncy trot and and uh, I didn't sit it very well and he's such a good horse and looks after his students so so well that the minute he feels somebody unbalanced he stops trotting which of course to try and get used to the bounce wasn't necessarily what I wanted but I knew that he was looking out for me and it wasn't that he was being naughty or lazy or anything like that it was genuinely he's like you're out of balance I'll stop so you can get your balance back let's go again (laughs) yeah yeah which you know that's what psychological safety looks like right if he didn't feel safe to say hey yeah, not keeping up up there. <laughs> <laughs> he, he probably just keep on bouncing till I bounced into a wall. Well, no, what they actually do is they panic. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> they they don't really want us to fall off. They don't really want us to get hurt. And so if we're asking them to do things that they think that we're not ready for, they that's when we end up with them bolting as well Mm. that's when we end up with like and if we're pressuring them that's when they end up bucking so it's um you know that's part of the emotional resilience is like the horses being able to be scared of the fact that we're about to fall off (laughs) and we're (laughs) asking them to do it anyway and then 
just being okay with us falling off. <laughs> it's like, I told you so. I tried to stop, but you kept at it. And then you were whipping me. Like, what was I supposed to do? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, anything else that you can, any other tips you can provide? Yeah. So don't just assume that they're being naughty if they're not doing what you ask them to do. What are they trying to tell you? Are they trying to tell you something? Are they unsure of what you want? Do they not know what the answer is? Are they? Are you asking too much of them? You know, another thing that we can do is every time we ride, we expect our ride to be better than the previous, mm. and that's not just that's just not the case. Like, you know, our horses can be sore from the previous ride. Our horses can have had a bad day, had a bad sleep, had have done something silly in the paddock in the last twenty four hours. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's plenty of reasons and not just going to improve exponentially every single time we ride them. I'm looking for, you know, improvements and change of physique in the three to six month mark. And if I'm not seeing those changes in that time frame, then I'm looking at my other um, industry professionals, chiros, bioworkers, osteopaths, nutrition like whatever and it and that does become frustrating because it is very ex experimental like is this the thing no and quite often it's a combination of things that kind of have to come together to get that next step forward so it's just being really comfortable and that's why you know the way that we've set up our online programs is very intentional and strategic of how the lesson plans should layer on top of each other so that you can be like your horse is ready for that next step at that three to six month mark if you're not thinking strategically like a personal trainer then you're probably not going to see improvements even in that three to six months like it's probably going to take more the year to two years especially also so another thing that can happen in the horse industry is um you this is a problem also with instructors is if you find it really natural to learn the skill and you don't get the why then your cue training won't be clear yeah and so you will kind of learn how to be responsive and, and ride the horse that you're on but then it, you'll get to a point like you've kind of just done what other people have told you to do and you'll mm. get to a point where you can't move forward because you don't have a foundation of how the words have built up on top of each other as well and so this can be a problem especially with the higher level instructors that i've experienced is that they got there because they had the money to do it and they had the instructors to teach them to do it and they didn't necessarily have to learn how to do it and so they aren't very good at teaching it they're good at telling you like do this do that do this do that and you don't know why. One of the most important things that I got taught when I was learning to teach was my instructor said, if you don't know why you're teaching it, don't teach it. So that has led to everything that I taught is why, 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 <laughs> which is why we now have a, have like a fully fleshed out like language that we yeah. can transfer into the saddle of like how to communicate the different things that we're doing with our horses, like, you know, transitions and aids for like all of our aids as cues. 
So we've got a very precise way of how we're going to communicate the cue to the horse, but then we also have a very strategic and intentional way of layering those words on top of each other so that, you know, when we get to being able to do leg yields, it's not just like, I don't know how to do this and you just kind of like throw your body sideways and your horse starts yielding because they're kind of trying to catch you as <laughs> you throw yourself <laughs> over sideways or you you know you kink your body and you twist it the wrong way because you think that leg yield and bend is feels the same like yeah and then so then you're gonna finally figure out how to leg yield and then you've got to learn how to shoulder in and then, <laughs> you know your shoulder in aid and your band aid are basically the same but your seat is in a different spot so like these are like learning plateaus that we have in the saddle that happen because you know we don't have the forethought of what these aids are going to look like when we get up to elementary when we get up to medium we're just thinking about what these aids are going to look like in prelim and then we get to novice and we go oh shoot like we have to go back to our prelim work and retrain everything that we did because the way that we communicated that does not give space for how we're going to communicate novice level work yeah i think it's one of the really important things and you mentioned that you know like particularly with high level um, competitors just getting told what to do instead of the why I think that's even equally important for you to use even in, in lower levels and, and even basic handling the why you do this and the why you take this approach um, because I can tell like I've probably been fairly privileged in that I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different horse personalities, not as many as you, but a few in the last five to six years. And each and every one of them has worked really, really differently. And while I might use some of the same tools, I'm, I'm actually adjusting the method and the thought process and, and the time it takes and, and um, monitoring their response to tailor the tailor it to them so that they feel safe and have those conversations so we still end up eventually getting to the same result but you know it's um you know slightly different pathways and I think a lot of our horse owners too like a lot of our audience have probably had that dream horse that they really really loved and they've worked really really well with and you know for one reason or another that dream horse is no longer with them and they come along and have a new horse and suddenly this horse is totally different and totally not responsive to the way they want to be, which is exactly how I ended up, you know, working um, so strongly with you and, um, you know, pushing you to put together equestrian movement, um, you know, was that exact situation. So I think that is a really important aspect we need to be considering whenever we're handling our horses is understanding the why we're doing it to know how or like when we need to change up our tactics yeah yeah exactly understanding like your horse well enough to have that expensive toolkit to know okay I'm just gonna stick out this a little bit longer or okay this isn't working we have to really quickly change tactics before I lose my horse's trust faith and confidence in me which like that in itself is challenging because <clears throat> It, it does then take experience to know you should have just kind of stuck at that tool a little bit longer, like you quit just before it was about to work. Yeah. 
and to know, okay, this is only going to escalate into dangerous territory where I'm going to break my horse's trust in me. I'm going to find a different way. But, you know, I think like the only time that we need to not change what we're doing is if you only have pressure-based skills and this is like you know where submission-based training can get very aggressive is like the only tool that you have to get your horse to do something is because I say so well who are you to them to do something because you say so and so that's where it can very quickly escalate to more aggressive approaches and things so this is um you know in our list of things, what to do, one of the things that you want to do to create psychological safety is to have a very expensive toolkit and to have more tools in your toolkit than just pressure because it means that when something isn't working out for you, you don't have to just keep at it and push harder and pressure more and make it happen. You can say, all right, let's, you know, think laterally. How can we restructure this training process? Do we even need to be doing this? So like an example of that is we were trying to decide if we wanted to include, you know, asking the horses to sit down and, and lay down as part of our training. So I was like, I actually really don't want to have to teach the horses to do that because it's not of benefit to them physically so a lot of the training tools that we have aside from our basic horse husbandry language is like is this of benefit to the horse physically with their ridden stuff and you know just with the the um sitting and the lying down you know you just are going to be definitely affecting the horse's psychological safety quickly because it is a very submissive place to go but also be really easy for them to injure themselves in those awkward positions where they're not, they're no longer in control of, like if, if you just let them kind of sit down, lay down and pay, you know, it's fine. They are in control of their body. But when it's us forcing them into those positions, it can very quickly become of detriment to their overall health. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and we see it every Every time we work with our horses, when we're trying to achieve something and we can see that one particular tool isn't quite working, I see it every time I see you do a lesson. You know, we're troubleshooting, this isn't quite working. Is it the application of the tool that we're using or is it do we need to take the approach of the other, of another tool? And getting to know the horses so well gives us the advantage of understanding which tools work better with them. <laughs> For example, um, pressure-based techniques to get Gunner to do a rain back was just an argument. Yeah. But um, positive reinforcement with treat training was a win. <laughs> Huge win. <laughs> Huge win. Um, so we can see how those small adjustments still get us to the same goal, but we're just taking a slightly different tailored approach and we're at the same time we're still keeping them mentally and emotionally engaged. Yeah. So same with Rabbit, right? Like, um, you know, he's so stubborn that, and we're stubborn horses. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's that that own confidence in themselves to say no. Like, I don't feel good about what you're asking me to do. I'm not going to do it. So, um, his owner has done a lot of work with getting him onto the float, 
really sweetly, but then just hasn't had to go anywhere for two years, basically. So when it came to getting him on the float, particularly like getting him on the float, coming away from his holiday paddock, <laughs> just upping the pressure with him was never going to get him on because the more you fight that stubborn no, the more stubborn the no becomes. Yeah. So it's just, you know, and it's the same with spooky horses. It's the same with the aggressive horses. It's the same with the horses that tend to shut down. It's being able to see okay, I'm, I'm losing my horse's focus, attention, trust in what I'm doing with them. I need to change tactics. And you can see it. Like they, you can see the trust in their eyes go if you've pushed a point. And I know at that point I definitely need to stop and I definitely need to do some connection work and just like make friends again. It's like I've pushed you to the point now, not only do you not want to look at me and you don't want to work with me, but you also no longer trust me based on the choices I'm making. So I need to real quick, real smart, <laughs> change my attitude and the direction that I'm heading in so that we can kind of come back to that place of, of working together and not me just forcing my, my will onto you which is why we have to have such a level of willingness in our safe training environment at home because if you accidentally get yourself into a mischief when you're out, you kind of have to step up and just be like, wait, we need to real quick get through this because otherwise we're all about to get into trouble and serious trouble. So, you know, it's in those moments that you need to kind of show up for your horse and take the lead, which means that, you know, that's where we're looking at that compassionate leadership at home where we're creating a psychological safety for our horses to teach us how we should best interact and work with them. Absolutely. And I think this is the cool thing because that's where I've seen the programs that we started to put together in equestrian movement evolve and that's why we now have the Holistic Horse uh, Handling Program, which is um, trainability taken to the next level really if it comes to i guess holistic horse handling we're looking we're taking the approach from why does my horse to how can i help my horse and what can if, if a student was to go through holistic horse handling program what would they expect to be able to see so the kinds of things that we're talking about, you know, we've just gone through a list of four things that you don't want to do, don't emotionally engage, don't ask them to do something that creates pain, don't ask them to do something they don't have the skills for and don't just assume they're being naughty. We have a list of things that we do want to be doing when we're training is do create a language where no isn't a challenge to your authority but a way of setting clear and healthy boundaries between the two of you. So this is what we cover in Seeking Connection and Choice and Consent is how we kind <clears> of <throat> start to build out that conversation between the two of us where the horse can say, I'm not okay with this. We can hear that without it feeling like a threat to our authority and our safety. And we can say, okay, why are you not okay with it? How can I support you? And how can we shift it to a yes? And we've had heaps of people do that work. You know, the first time that we do the consent work, we do go backwards because when you talk to a horse that hasn't had the opportunity to consent what's happening to them previously, they start to say no to everything. Yep. 
that's like where we see those submission-based tactics, like they just push the horse through the nose and say no is not an acceptable answer. We're saying no is an acceptable answer, but I would, I'm going to get it to the point that it's a yes. How can we do this together so that you want to do this with me? So do create a language where no isn't a challenge to your authority, but a way of setting healthy boundaries with each other. Do have more tools in your toolkit than pressure. Do give yourself permission to take a step back and take a break if you feel like you are becoming reactive instead of responsive. And do be intentional and strategic in how you layer and present your skills and your challenges to your horse. So one of um, you know the ones that we have in there working with Sutley with doing her backing is I knew that I just didn't quite have enough trust built in our relationship to sit on her back. So instead we went out and we did some in-hand adventures together. She had the skills to do the in-hand adventures already established. And so doing those in-hand adventures meant that she was then ready to do or more ready to do the mounting process together. And so that's, again, like getting to know your horse and how best to interact with them so that, you know, when you've got this big goal that you're trying to achieve, you know kind of what you're going to do to, to build the skills on top of each other to get to that point. And so what that actually looks like in application, the first thing that we're doing is we're trying to establish a connection. So does your horse see you coming, look up at you, ears pricked, whinny and run from the end of the paddock to you? Or does your horse see you coming, turn around and run the opposite way to the corner of the paddock from you? So what, like, is your horse actually seeking you out to interact with you? I won't do training with the horses until they start coming and interacting with me. So we've seen, like, I did very basic handling with Zodi when I first got him because he was so scared of us, which was just the... <clears throat> just their fist bump to start making that physical contact. But even like working with April, you know, she, I think we had, I was there six months. Like I didn't put any more effort into her than just like having her turned in and out at feed time. But there's, there's a shift when they're ready to start doing more with you. They come over to you more. They seek that, um, you know, interaction more and more. We see it with Gunner, you know. He doesn't get used in the school as much. So you'll go down to feed him and he'll be like, hey, play with me, play with me, play with me. Take me up. I want you to do something. I'm bored. Come play with me. Let's do stuff. So, you know, we're looking for them actually seeking that interaction with you. And so how do we get them to that point where they're seeking that interaction with you. So that's our first module of establishing that. And then the second thing is like once they're seeking that interaction with you, how do you set yourself as, you know, a compassionate leader? How do you set yourself up as someone worth following? Going through like trust, faith, confidence to establish yourself as someone that your horse wants to follow. And with that comes a few little training rules that we have to just keep our own ego in check, like, um, you know, finish on a positive note, feeling like we have done more, try and only stick to three repetitions, those kinds of rules that are going to catch us when we're like, no, 
today I needed you to do this. Like, no, today you did not need them to do that. Adjust your goalposts and then come out, reflect on what happened. And then, you know, go, like we've had our students talk to us, they go and they'll look through what lesson plans they can use instead and they'll go in and use them to create a different environment and different situation to kind of like come to that same end result, Mm -hmm. which is like what we're talking about with being flexible and having that expansive toolkit is that you don't have to make that one thing happen. You can come and add it from a different direction and this is something that you also learn when you have lots of different instructors is that we're all kind of trying to get to the same end point but we all have a slightly different way about going about it that's because we all have our own experiences and our own personalities so if you're you know only using one person's point of view or you know maybe one or two people's point of view then you're going to be limited to what they know and and their experiences and whatnot and so it's good to like just be able to have that expansive toolkit that you can just try different things and figure out like your personality how does your personality interact best with your horse's personality and use the tools that um you know work best there rather than trying to force at somebody else's tools on yourself and your horse and it just you know creating friction because you don't know how to to be the person that uses those skills (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's nice because we've spent a lot of time fleshing out those different tools and testing different methods that you've um seen and trialed and used with different horses that feel safe to um feel comfortable enough to say this totally doesn't work or this does work or this could work a little bit better if we did this instead. And and that's, I think, the really nice thing about the Holistic Horse Handling Program in that we are able to give you a plethora of different techniques you can try and test with your horse. But first of all, you're building that connection and building um, understanding a lot more about your horse before you start applying those tools so you can have a conversation between each other and come back and, and say yeah that worked no it didn't yeah and then even if like that tool didn't work on that day it doesn't mean that it's never going to work as well so just you know this tool didn't work for where my horse and I are at right now and but it's still like tucked up your sleeve so that like you know your relationship might get a little bit stronger or have a different obstacle to overcome and you'll you can just like go back and work through all your tools again it means that you don't feel stuck there's some you know so often that's like the thing that happens in our training is we're either bored because we're going around and around the same circle and we don't know why or we are stuck on a problem that we don't know how to overcome and getting stuck on a problem that we don't know how to overcome isn't pushing harder isn't putting more pressure on ourselves and our horses isn't like just get in there and make it happen it's okay like finding you know maybe the route that we're taking is full of damn antenna and it keeps cutting your legs up and nobody wants to go through it anymore so you find like the path around it that is not so treacherous and is a little bit easier to navigate even though it's a little bit longer (laughs) and that is literally the the taking the why does my horse or why doesn't my horse into the how can we how can we get past this how can I support you through this how can 
how can we evolve and and stop being stuck here yeah yeah and so then like once we've kind of got a lot of the relationship work through then what we have done in at this point we've established secure connections secure attachments to ourselves our herd um the horse human relationship and the environment and then we've built trust faith and confidence in each other and then that's where we start to see the psychological safety coming into aspect where the horses feel safe to communicate with us and we understand what they're trying to communicate sometimes it's you know we're still talking to a horse so <laughs> sometimes it does take a little bit to figure out but we have like the tools to lean into to figure it out and then we're going to work into like actually establishing that language between us and the horse our language is our cues our cues are our words we can put the words in in on top of each other to be able to expand our conversation with each other we start with just our basic horse husbandry needs like what do you need for your horse we need we need to be able to catch them. We need the farrier to attend to them. We need the vet to attend to them. We need to be able to worm them. Like, what are your basic horse husbandry needs? Um, and then we kind of go into, okay, what kind of words do we need to be successful in these tasks? Like, you know, stand, stand with relaxation, move over, like back up, those kinds of things. So pick up your foot. Pick up your foot. So like just continuing out that conversation. And then as like the conversation evolves, we're just we just keep adding the words in as they kind of come up. Yeah. But you can see like the way that those words are gonna are layering in on top of each other. And it's super easy. Like, you know, my students that have worked with it, when you actually break it down into how do you actually cue train? They're like, oh my god, this is so easy, <laughs> and and you can start seeing results pretty quickly with that. Yeah, they, that's what like I I teach is like they can learn a new word within like three to five attempts if you're yes. working with something particularly intelligent. Um, maybe you know half an hour of a training session if you're working on the slower horses. And look, if you apply the right <laughs> motivation, sometimes those slower horses pick it up just as fast. <laughs> <Yeah>. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. And then you're really working on consolidating what that word means and, and whatnot over the next kind of period of time. The part that is hard in training is when we don't tease apart the cue training and the behaviours. Yeah. So you're asking your horse to pick their leg up, they're not picking their leg up, they're trying to kick you, they've got their ears pinned, they're like running at you and chasing you. It's like they know how to pick their leg up but they have stifle lock or they have a hip injury or yeah. they've, you know, got something going on in their hind leg when you pick your, their leg up, it hurts. Mm -hmm. So you've kind of crosswired yourself there in thinking that your horse doesn't know what to do and is also trying to kill you. <laughs> no, that's, we need to, like, go back. Why is my horse... You know, why is my horse kicking me? It's because the thing that you're asking them to do, they're not okay with it. So we know what the answer is. The question becomes, why aren't they okay with it? So then you can kind of go into it a little bit deeper. And, and something like just super basic with horses is holding a leg means they're trapped. 
So if you have a horse that has experienced trauma, has been cornered, has been flogged, has been like put through the ringer where they are scared of people, you will not be able to touch their legs because that means that they're trapped and they yeah. can't get away from the thing that they're scared of. So it take it actually takes a lot of trust from the horses for us to pick their legs up. Yeah. And the same with putting the halter on, like the halter is on, they are trapped, tying them up, they're tied up, they're trapped, putting them in a stable, putting them in a float. Our horses don't like to be trapped and they don't like to be enclosed. It goes against everything that horse instinct is about. They want big open spaces with horses around them so that they can see all of the things that are trying to kill them. And then we just keep putting them in these situations that get them to be like, now I am unsafe because I can't see and I'm trapped and I can't get away. This is the only thing that I know about life. And so that's where we teach our emotional agility, which is, I think, in maybe our leadership skills or another module. It's, it's all the way through it, really, yeah. to be honest. So it's taking the horse that is scared to be cornered and trapped and saying, you're safe. Here's how to be brave. You're safe. Here's how to find confidence through curiosity. You're safe. Here's how we're going to shift that fear of your claustrophobia or something into excitement to learn something new. So that's like what emotional agility looks like and it goes hand in hand with the psychological safety. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just absolutely have loved this conversation. <laughs> you know, you and I can usually get on a rant together <laughs> when we chat and I hope that you guys have enjoyed my hijacking and interviewing Katie around our new favorite topic which is psychological safety um, if you are interested in learning more about the holistic horse handling program you can jump onto the uh, link in the bio and we will talk to you next episode happy trails if you're loving what you're listening to on the podcast you might be starting to recognize that trying to control your horse through submission-based training is the worst way to ask your horse to look after you if you're working with or riding horses you know how unpredictable and sometimes scary they can be unfortunately most struggling horse riders make the mistake of thinking they can physically control their 400 plus kilo fur babies by moving their feet or spooking them into responding with flags and join up Without giving your horse a reason to care about you and look after you, you will most likely end up with a horse that is disconnected at best, shut down or explosive at worst because they can't communicate their needs with you. Especially if you are already scared, worried or nervous handling your horse. That's why we've created our new free online training experience, Building a Connection with Your Horse. This is how I've gone about creating safe horses for beginners, no matter the breed or previous handling experiences. If you want to learn the secret source behind developing safe horses that care about you and look after you without trauma triggering training methods, register for our new training today at www.equestriummovement.com forward slash connection. And I will uncover the three big mistakes you might be making if you're trying to build a relationship with your horse and how you can start building your horse's trust and confidence in you as a leader worth following.